Brian, what's the one thing you would do differently if you could do it all over? Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business -business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So this week I opened up some uh, uh, opened up questions for the podcast and I got some responses. And one of the questions I got was by Trent P. So thanks, Trent, for sending your question in. Uh, and the question was, what's the one thing you would do differently if you could do it all over again? Now, generally, I don't answer these what's the one thing questions because I don't generally believe that there is one thing. I think that... Um, there's no magic bullet. There's no one key to success. There's no one thing that you can solve to make your business uh, successful. Um, every business is unique. Every business owner is unique. Every uh, mix of employees is unique. Every industry is unique. Um, and every business is at, at a different stage in its growth. And so um, I don't generally buy into these what's the one thing kind of uh, questions. But in this case... Um, there is a one thing I would do differently if I could do it all over again, and it's probably not going to be what you think. Uh, before I get to that, just want to uh, let you know, if you have questions you want me to address, uh, I would love to. You can send those uh, via direct message at facebook.com slash service industry success. That is the URL to the page, uh, service industry success, my, my uh, Facebook business page. And you can just shoot me a message on there, and I'll uh, be glad to answer uh, the questions you send. Um, so this is a great case of having knowledge, uh, having knowledge is one thing and applying that knowledge is something completely different. Uh, so what I'm going to get into, get into, will kind of, uh, explain that. But before I get to my answer, there's one, <clears throat> one thing I need to explain, which I, I don't think I've done that on this podcast. Um, and this is an idea that I got from a guy I worked for. I reported to this guy. He wasn't somebody who, um, I really got along with all that well, to be honest with you. Uh, he didn't hire me. Uh, he kind of uh, um, inherited me. Uh, this is when I was an employee. Uh, it was not my own business, but I was a general manager of a, of a good-sized uh, branch. Uh, we had about 63 employees. Um, we were doing $8 million a year in revenue. This is back in you know, 2006, 2007, somewhere in there. And uh, like I said, he kind of inherited me. We had There were some changes in the organization and... and uh, uh, he was not my biggest fan for sure, and I was not his biggest fan for sure, but he did tell me something that, or teach me something that I carry to to this day with me. And this is the theory of the three-legged stool. And the, the theory goes like this. Imagine your business is a stool, and that stool is being supported by three legs. One is the company, obviously, and for business owners, small business owners, by extension, that is you generally also, one is the customer and one is the employee. And if at any point one of those three legs of the stool uh, breaks or gets weak or whatever, the stool is going to fall over. A stool cannot stand up on two legs. Uh, that's the idea. 
And so this three-legged stool idea um, really resonated with me, and it, and it began to kind of shape how I addressed all things. Um, and I really do think it's a critical way to think of things in a small business environment where um, you have to satisfy the needs of the customer, you have to satisfy the needs of the employee, and then, you, of course, you have to identify the needs of the company. If, if any one of those three needs won't, are not being met, the stool will fall over. If the company's needs aren't being met, um, the, the business goes under and then the employee's needs are not being met and the uh, customer's needs are not being met. If the customer's needs are not being met, um, the business will go under and the employee's needs won't be met. Um, and if the employee's needs are not being met, the customer's needs will not be met and the business may go under as well there. So uh, they're all interrelated and there's not a single uh, scenario I can think of where we shouldn't be asking ourselves if we're addressing the needs of the customer, the employee and the company uh, all throughout the process. So um, that's kind of the premise that this um, this one thing I would do differently is kind of built around, Which, but it's not that one thing. I, I knew the three-legged stool theory. We, we believed in that 100%. Um, so that's not that's not the one thing. I'll get to the one thing, but I, I kind of need to, to explain that before I get to it. Um, when we first started out, this is in 2011, we were kind of, you know, we were at the beginning of kind of sort of coming out of the recession. We were still were in very much in the recession uh, for another couple of years. But um, when we first started out, uh, we were trying to market ourselves as a company who was revolutionizing the industry. And I will say in many ways, I think we did in our market, at least, um, we didn't, I don't know if I'd say the word revolutionize, but we did change some things in how people operate and, and we gave customers, um, an option certainly that they did not have before in the kind of company they could work for in our industry. So I, I'm very confident we did that. I don't know if I would say we revolutionized the industry, but uh, our marketing though was trying to explain to folks how we were really trying to revolutionize the industry and our, our marketing pieces, our websites, um, you know, uh, all kind of told this story about how, um, we kind of had a list of grievances um, and how we were addressing those. Some were in, in how pricing was developed. Some were in transparency. Some were in communication. Some were um, in employees uh, being uh, eager to suit the customer's needs. I mean, there was a ton of things that we were kind of addressing that our industry had not done super well. And um, But we were telling our story, basically, Um and we we struggled with marketing. We went through five or six different marketing companies. We wasted tens of thousands of dollars at a point we really didn't have the money for that kind of expense. Um, and we never could really figure out why our marketing wasn't working. Um, once people got to know us, our, our close rate was um, fantastic. Our retention with customers was awesome. Uh, but the marketing, we just, we just really struggled with that. Um, and in, in the beginning also, we had, um, you know, we started with three of us and we had very clear dreams and ideas of what we were trying to build. We knew exactly what we were trying to build. Uh, we were going to build a very large organization like the one we all just come from, uh, you know, aiming for roughly 60 employees. Uh, we we kind of had it figured out. Um, and we had very high hopes for our first few employees. Um, these are people we liked, we trusted, we'd known in the industry for a long time. And... Uh, our kind of uh, pitch to them was, hey, help us build this thing. And uh, in a couple of years, you're going to be like running the thing. You know, you'll be the general manager. You'll be the sales manager. You'll be the operations manager. You'll be the whatever. Um, if you help us build this thing, you guys are 
you know, ground floor level opportunity here. Um, you'll be able to, to kick back and, and run the thing and, and help us manage employees when we get employees and things like that. Um, and it just didn't land. That message just did not resonate with um, the first, um, I don't know, probably six or seven employees we hired that we really had these high hopes for. Um, one of them in particular, um, I'll never forget, we, we hired a salesperson, outside salesperson, which I say all the time is the hardest position there is to manage. An outside sales position is is the freedom that people get um, becomes addictive and their behaviors change. And all of a sudden they go from being a very productive employee sometimes to not so productive. Um, they just get this freedom and uh, it's hard to manage that. So, uh, But in this case, we hired an outside salesperson and we could just tell that it wasn't like production wasn't working all that well as far as like his performance and things like that. And uh, lo and behold, we find out a few months later after we'd hired him, um, I think right after, right before we fired this individual, that he had gotten a second job. He was driving a, a limousine part-time during the day when he was supposed to be working for us. And that was, <laughs> that was an educational experience as far as, uh, um, you know, being taken advantage of by employees and things like that. Uh, and then we had other employees we liked very much, and um, we were hoping that they would be operational managers one day. And uh, we kept saying, like, listen, we know you're not making a lot of money right now, um, which wasn't super uncommon in 2011. A lot of folks were making less than they wanted. But, you know, stick it out with us, help us out, help us build this thing, and then you're going to run it someday. And that was kind of our message. And it just didn't land. We couldn't, we couldn't figure out why these people didn't um, – believe in us is what we thought, you know, and, and I kind of got it. You know, you look around at how many people in our industry had started their own business and, and either failed or had never grown up past two or three employees. And here we had these big lofty dreams and we were going to build this big, massive company. And so I kind of got it that they didn't really trust us or believe that we could do it. Um, but I really later found out that that was not, um, the case at all. That wasn't really what was holding them up. My point with all this stuff in it is in all these cases, we were doing what many companies do which is selling based on what mattered to the company rather than what mattered to the customer or the employee. And we see this all the time. Now, now whether you're selling your service to a customer, which is obviously sales, or selling a position or a dream or an idea or a concept to an employee, you're still selling. Um, people do not make decisions, buying decisions or life decisions um, based upon what other people want them to do. I think I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, if you were go to go buy a car or a boat, you don't really care what's in it for the seller to get what they want. Like if you're selling a car, you don't really care if what their motivation is. Um, you care about what your needs are as the buyer. And this is, this is the idea that, that I now have come to grips with. And this is the one thing I would change if I had to do it all over again. I would apply this knowledge to everything we did much earlier. The first few years we were in business, we struggled a great deal in our marketing message and our employee recruitment and retention because we were talking about what we needed. We needed somebody to run the company for us someday. We needed somebody to buy from us. <laughs> Those were the messages we had. And um, we were talking about our needs and we couldn't figure out why that wasn't landing. Um, later on, we learned to develop what the customer's needs were and speak only to that. We learned to develop and, and identify what the employee's needs were and speak only to that. Um, 
once we did those two things, our world changed. Um, our growth went just went off the off the charts. Um, our retention, our recruitment, uh, everything changed for us. Once we began to apply this knowledge that people, by and large, do things because they want to. That's just how we're wired. So let me give you a couple of examples of this. Let me give you like extreme examples here. Um, let's just look at somebody like Mother Teresa. Um, Mother Teresa, based on what I know, left a fairly um, wealthy family, uh, had, you know, wouldn't have had to, to uh, work a whole lot and had a pretty good life, gave all that up and went to India and spent, you know, 80 years or whatever helping very poor people in orphanages and other instances, um, you know, get through life. You know, she dedicated her life to helping other people. Now, why would somebody do that? Well, the answer is because there's something in her that valued that. You know, you couldn't take a person who didn't value that and and coerce or talk them into doing that for 80 years. It, it just wouldn't work. They might do it for a while, a weekend, a week, couple weeks, maybe a month. There's no way that somebody who didn't value doing that would do that work for 80 years. They just wouldn't. Um, so if you look at a really altruistic idea like that, of somebody taking on this really great cause in life, why would they do that? Well, the answer is because there's something in her that really enjoyed it. She really valued it. And if she didn't have that internal um, thing that valued that, she wouldn't have done it at all or certainly not for her entire life. Now, you look at the exact kind of opposite. Look at somebody like Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Why did he do what he was known for doing? There was something in him that compelled him to do this thing. It was terrible stuff. He did, he, you know, I don't know how many people he killed, 40 or 50 or 100. I don't know how many it was, but he did awful things to people in vulnerable situations. And why would he do that? Well, something in him... Uh, gained a feeling that he was pursuing or he he got some kind of uh, benefit internally from doing these awful things. Now, I would argue that the overwhelming majority of the population fits somewhere on the scale between Mother Teresa and Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. In all cases, then, we are all compelled to do things based upon uh, recreating a feeling we want to feel or achieving a goal we want to achieve or creating an environment we want to uh, exist in or work in or live in. This is how we all make decisions. Uh, other examples would be somebody like Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, arguably the greatest boxer ever, great athlete, had to spend a tremendous amount of time training, didn't really like the training. Uh, he liked the, the talking and the promotion and he liked the fighting. He, he did not like the training like many athletes. That's not the most fun part. Um, something in him compelled him to do this. So something in him, he valued um, being the best at something or having a platform to speak, maybe in his case, or whatever it was. There was something in him that compelled him to do this. You could not take somebody who did not have that urge to excel or have a platform or be the best at something. If they didn't have that, you couldn't get them to do what Muhammad Ali had to do in training to, to achieve what he achieved. Same with like an Amelia Earhart, let's say. Um, you know, groundbreaker, um, pilot, first female, all kinds of stuff. If she didn't have an, if she didn't internally value that, she wouldn't have done it. Um, and this applies to that person you know who has just a so-so or below average job and you can't figure out why they won't take a better job to improve their lives. Something in them is compelling them to stay where they're at. Maybe they really prefer security and safety over money 
or maybe they really prefer safety and security over risk and and they believe taking a different job that even though that job might pay more and have better benefits and a better schedule whatever they're safer to stay where they're at and they value safety for example um so this is one of the pieces of knowledge that once i really began to apply it's one thing to know this but it's a whole different thing to really begin to apply this again our world really kind of changed so um people are more likely to do things that are helping them achieve what they want and feelings goals, environments, that kind of thing. And this is ultimately what led me to begin um, my version of the three-legged stool, which is to just begin flat out asking what's in it for the customer, what's in it for the employee, and what's in it for the company. And these are not rhetorical questions. Um, You know, specifically, what's in it for a customer to buy from us instead of brand X? Like we have to be able to specifically answer that question. What's in it for them to buy from me instead of somebody else? Um, and one of the things that we often do, especially in service businesses, is we try to talk about um, workmanship or quality or craftsmanship. And unfortunately, that doesn't land with customers very often. Um, they wouldn't have likely called your company out if they didn't believe it naturally or internally that you were capable of doing this job. But we spend a lot of time talking about craftsmanship and workmanship. Why? Because that suits our needs. It gives us credibility. It makes us look smart. It makes us look like we're competent. We enjoy that. However, that's not the customer's primary uh, concern in most cases. They probably would not have called a customer, a company to come out and give an estimate if they didn't think they were competent in doing the job. And if you're talking about workmanship and quality and, and you know, um, uh, skills, technical skills and things like that, what do you think your competition's saying? They're saying all the exact same things. I mean, do you really think you have a better electrician or HVAC tech than Brand X? Do you really think you have better tools or trucks? Um, if you're a carpet cleaning company, do you have better trained people? Um, you might spend more time training, but is the customer really going to believe that you're that much better at the craft? No, they're probably going to believe that you know what you're doing unless you give them a compelling reason to believe that you don't know what you're doing. Um so this is one of the things we kind of fall into is talking about things that the customers don't really worry about. They're not really worried about you not knowing what you're doing unless you prove to them they should. Companies also don't like to compete based on price. Uh, one of the things I hear most often from complaining business owners in service industries is that this customer is being cheap or this customer doesn't value this or they should know they should know that if, you, if, they, if they buy it based on price, they're going to get a crummy product and this and that. And my question is always the same. If you don't want to compete based on price, which I agree that none of us do, what's the compelling reason you're giving them to buy from you instead of Brand X? And generally, it's either we talk about quality and workmanship and craftsmanship, which, again, you know, if you took your competition and you lined up your employees who do your trade or your, your craft or whatever – and you were to compare them to your top five competitors, they're going to have all-stars and they're going to have okay and they're going to have not so great. And you're going to have all-stars and and okay and not so great. And it's going to be about the same. And if it's not about the same, the customer's not likely to believe it's really that different. So if we don't want to ba- compete based on price and the customer doesn't really believe that you're going to be all that much better technically than your competition, you have to give them a compelling reason to buy from you instead of brand X. So this is what I'm saying. What's in it for them to buy from you instead of Brand X is not um, that you provide a quality product. Well, everybody's supposed to do that. And they think that everybody does that. And it shouldn't be because we're the cheapest guys in town because none of us want to compete based on price. So 
What are the other compelling reasons? What are the problems that they have? What are the hopes they have? The wishes, concerns, fears, needs, any of those things that you're addressing and they would have a better experience buying from you instead of somebody else. If you can't answer those questions, you're going to struggle with this. That's just the way it is, right? Same thing with employees. We get frustrated employees don't do what we need them or want them to do. We oftentimes talk about why don't they just get it? Why won't they just do the right thing? Why do I have to babysit this stuff? Um, and if the if you ask what's in, in it for the employee to work for your company, uh, and the answer is something like, well, they get a paycheck and they get benefits and we have a great environment, um, what would your competition say that's any different? They're going to say the same exact things. So what specifically is in it for your employees to work for you instead of brand X? Um, and if you need them to do something, what's in it for them to do this thing? So if you need them to get on board with the process or get on board with an idea that your company, a concept that your company has, or an overarching goal or a specific goal, what's in it for them to do this? And if the answer is they get a paycheck because I told them to, because the customer needs it, just understand that it's going to take a lot more work to babysit that and to and to hold their hand through the process because they're not addressing their needs. Therefore, they're less likely to do it, period. Now, I'm not saying you got to give them a bonus and uh, this isn't monetary like, hey, let's give them a raise every time you roll out a new initiative. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if you ask the question, what's in it for them to do this? And your answer is something like, by doing this task correctly, John gets to feel like a hero. Or by achieving this particular metric consistently, Jill feels like she's supporting the team, which is a really big deal for her. Or Jeff believes that if he looks, he looks more credible when this process is followed consistently because it produces the most consistent results, which makes him look like he's very competent and qualified. And that matters to him. Those kinds of answers are going to require much less babysitting, begging, threatening, whatever, uh, to get compliance. If you can identify what need is being met by the person you're asking to do this, it's just your life is going to be a lot easier. If your answer is they get a paycheck, that's what I told them to do, that's what the customer needs, okay, that's fine. You can take that approach, but it's just going to be more work for you to get it to get it done consistently. So in the case of customers, we first got to determine who specifically we want to work for and then always be asking what are the customer's needs, fears, hopes, wishes, and concerns. In other words, what's in it for them to buy from us instead of Brand X? In the case of employees, we first must determine if their values and goals align with ours and the company's. Are, are they a good fit for the company? Uh, if not, then they got to go. It's better for them and it's better for us that they go work somewhere where they, their values and goals do align with the company. Everybody deserves that kind of happiness. And if you've done a good job of removing people whose goals and values don't align with your companies, then it's a matter of asking what's in, what's in it for them to work here instead of Brand X and what's in it for them to do this task, follow this process, get on board with this idea or hit this benchmark, what's in it for them to do that? Um, so to answer Trent's question, what I would do differently is apply this knowledge from day one. It took a couple of years for me to figure this out. Once I did, our, our world changed. Um, so what I would do differently is I would apply this knowledge from day one. Uh, so just remember that people are more inclined to do what you need them to do if it meets their needs. And do what you need them to do could be buying from you, could be working for you, could be carrying out a particular uh, task or following a particular process. Um, you're f just be, we just have to be aware we're fighting nature if we're going to expect something different and you're going to be disappointed. Now, are there times you have to just draw a line in the sand and say, do this or else? Yes, of course there are. But those need to be few and far between and and you know we can, we'll have a whole another conversation another day about how to how to take that path. The majority of the time, though, we want people to do things because they want to, 
We don't want to have to babysit them on every process. We don't have to threaten or beg them to comply. How do we do that? Identify what's in it for them to do this thing and align our goals and move forward, right? So uh, again, with customers, we got to start out by asking who do we want to serve? What are their needs, their hopes, their wishes, their fears and concerns? And how specifically are we addressing those or at least the one of those that matters the most to them? So when we ask ourselves, what's in it for our customer to buy from us instead of Brand X, we have an answer besides price and quality, uh, which again is the same things that everybody else is going to say. When it comes to employees, we got to ask ourselves, does this person share our values and goals? If not, they got to go. They got to go work somewhere else because it's going to be too much of a hassle to get them to onboard with our ideas if they don't share our values and goals. And then once we have people who do share our values and goals, then um, we need to be asking ourselves, what's in it for them to work here instead of Brand X? And what's in it for them to do this one particular thing that I need? So, um, Trent, that's the long-winded answer to your question, what I would do differently if I could do it all over again. I would apply that knowledge uh, much earlier, and I can tell you my life would be a lot easier way earlier than it was. So, um, again, uh, first of all, I want to just uh, take a moment and say thank you for uh, uh, sharing this podcast. The ratings in the last month have gone through the roof. Um we are all over the country now, the United States, and we're in 10 countries, primarily U.S., Australia, and Germany. Um, but thank you very much for sharing this. And I would just ask um, again, for, for those who are new listening, uh, please take a moment and share this podcast with a friend or a colleague who's in business, who is a business owner in the service industry. Um, if you have time, give us a rating and review. Uh, if you could spare just 30 seconds to do that, that'd be awesome. That's how you grow these things. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe to the Rumble page, uh, rumble.com slash service industry success. Uh, you can follow our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash service industry success. Uh, that's where a lot of the information comes out about um, podcast topics and other things that we got going on. There's a whole bunch of stuff coming out um, later this uh, year. Uh, we got a whole bunch of things that we're going to be talking to you about. I'm really excited about. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, again, find us on Rumble, find us on Facebook. Subscribe to this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to, and uh, take a moment, if you would, and just share it with a friend. And uh, that's it for this week. Thanks for your time, and I'll talk to you all next week.